Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. I'd say good morning. Like I say, it's good to be here. Um, it's good to see everybody. Um, we're just excited for the week and excited to see what God has in store for us with church camp and tent meeting coming up and just looking to see somebody get saved this morning. And um, 
Ryan called me and told me that the, there's, we have a new class starting and um, they're going to hold off for two weeks for that class. So just if you're going to be a part of that class, just hold off and uh, we'll be starting in a couple of weeks here. So we'll ask uh, Mike to dismiss this to Sunday school. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. Glad uh, everybody's here. Appreciate you coming out. Desire your prayers this morning. We're going to be in Isaiah in the 65th chapter. And we're going to be starting the lesson starts uh, at verse 17. We're going to probably back up and get a few verses before that, but. So any time that we're in the Gospels uh, and we're looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we've been there just recently, um, that's, you teach that, at least I try to teach that a certain way and try to bring out points and things. When you get back into the old Bible and Revelations is that way a lot as well, there are prophecies and there are symbolisms and there are things there that <clears throat> to me are more of a challenge sometimes to try to teach those and line them up right and so I will tell you right from the beginning even if we're in uh, John 3:16, there's things about that I don't know uh, and I will tell you that about Isaiah 65 there are things about this that I don't know so if you've read through this and you've thought boy I'm going to wait till Sunday school and, and Blaine will be able to explain this verse to me. Why? Well, I, I hope you're not too disappointed. Now, we do have Carl and we've got my dad and, and Bill and Jay's back here who understands a lot of this stuff. So maybe they can explain some of these things. I will do my best, I guess is what I'm telling you. But I don't have every verse 
mapped out where I can explain 100% of what it means. I've got some ideas, uh, and I'll try to share those. So uh, you pray for me. So Isaiah. Um, Isaiah is an interesting uh, book. Uh, it is most of the chapters of Isaiah are prophecy uh, of some form or another. And so Isaiah lived from approximately, now you know we've talked about these dates before, these are approximations, but probably pretty close. So before Christ, Isaiah lived uh, about 745 to 685 BC. All right, and so keep in mind that it was 586 when Jerusalem fell uh, to Babylonians. And so uh, Isaiah died about 100 years before that happened. So the things that he's writing here, and I do think that some of this prophecy is pointing ahead to what was going to happen physically to Jerusalem. That's some of it, okay? Uh, but even the part that he's, he's pointing to there is a hundred years before that starts happening. And of course, we've studied this and talked about it, and uh, the nation of Israel was steadily declining over a number of years. And God had told them through several prophets, Isaiah being one of them, that you're heading for destruction. There's going to be a price to pay for your disobedience. And they would repent for a little while and do pretty good, and then they'd head right back down that same path. And God would warn them, and they'd repent for a little bit and do okay for a little bit, and then he'd warn them. And so it was, if you were graphing it out, it's kind of like this. They're just heading down, down, down. So uh, so anyway, Isaiah, those are the years that he lived. Now, uh, just a couple of other prophets that you know are interesting. Uh, Jeremiah... Uh, was approximately 627 uh, to 580 B.C. And so he lived after Isaiah did. Ezekiel uh, was born sometime uh, in the late 600, maybe uh, early 500, 590s B.C. and lived uh, through the time that, that Jerusalem was falling and, and some after that. So these guys were overlapping a little, but Isaiah was, was he had died before Jeremiah and Ezekiel came along. Uh, so let's take a look. Let's start at verse 17. I'm going to read that one first, and then I'm going to probably back up and we'll do a little compare and contrast to some of the things that Isaiah was writing earlier. Please pray for me, and if you have comments or questions, as always, thrilled to have them. So verse 17, For behold... I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. So what's he talking about here? Well, as I said, I think some of Isaiah's prophecy is applicable towards Jerusalem and the fall that Jerusalem was going to have. Uh, they were going to be carried by the Babylonians into captivity, and they were going to be down there a long time. Nehemiah, who we've taught about and read about. Uh, so Jerusalem fell in 586. Nehemiah came back to Jerusalem in 444. So that was 142 years later, uh, B.C. And so 
there was this time period here where Israel is paying for their disobedience and they are slaves down in Babylon. Uh, and Nehemiah comes back and there is a renewal and a rebuilding of what's going on there in Jerusalem and in Israel. And certainly I think some of this is applicable to that. Uh, but there is a spiritual side to this prophecy that to me is a lot greater than the natural prophecy that takes place about what's going to happen to Israel. And so, and, and, and what did happen to Israel. And I hope we can get to that spiritual side of the prophecy because to me that's, that's really where the meat is in this chapter. So, so behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. So he's telling them here, and so verse 17 is kind of starting where if you're looking at it from that natural prophecy that Israel is coming back to the physical Jerusalem and they start rebuilding and they come out of bondage and they are blessed and the, and the nation of Israel is renewed and so a little bit of that is what he's talking about here. There's going to be some new things and you're going to be able to put away that difficulty and that trouble that you had down in Babylon. But that has such a spiritual significance to us from our soul standpoint. And so I hope we can get there. So let's back up. I want to see where did I want to. Let's, let's go back to verse 11, because I think in order to get this contrast uh, and to really understand the difference, we have to back up and read a few of these verses so we see what was going on before this. Uh, but ye are they that forsake the Lord, that forget my holy mountain, that prepare a table for the troop, and that furnish the drink offering unto that number. Therefore will I number you to the sword, and ye shall all bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, ye did not answer. When I spake, ye did not hear. But did evil before mine eyes, and did choose that wherein I delighted not. So this is what he's, this is the, what, what he's saying right before we get to verse 17. So he's, he's saying, you got two choices. You can follow me or you cannot follow me. And those who don't follow me, this is what it's going to look like. And those who follow me, this is what it's going to look like. So, again, we can talk about what Israel was doing before they were carried to Babylon. And certainly there's some, uh, some real significance there. And it paints a picture of what happened. They turned their back and they did these things naturally. They did not follow God. They would not heed to what God was telling them. And he's telling them there's going to be a price to pay. And again, this is a hundred years before Jerusalem would fall. But Isaiah saw it through an eye of prophecy. And so this is the natural side of it. And we're going to get to the spiritual side. Verse 13, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, my servants shall eat, but ye shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but ye shall be thirsty. My servants shall rejoice, but ye shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but ye shall cry for sorrow of heart, and shall howl for vexation of spirit. And then let's jump on down 
Uh, I want to read verse 16, the last little part of it. I just want to, well, let's just read it all. That he who blessed himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hid from mine eyes. They're hid from, and this is God speaking. This is God prophesying through Isaiah. Your troubles are hid from God's eyes. And so then when you get to 17, for behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. So when it's talking about who's remembering it or whose mind it is, I think here it's talking about God. It said, shall, back up here in 16, because they are hid from mine eyes. I think God's saying, I won't remember it. So it, it really brings to mind here as we start to look at this, um, it's over, I think, in Micah where it talks about our sins are cast into the depths of the sea. Now, there's a great song that I love called uh, The Sea of Forgetfulness. And certainly that lines up with where Micah's at there. Micah was right about the same time as Isaiah in his prophecies and his book, just so that you know that. But our sins are cast into the sea and they're forgotten. That sea of forgetfulness. Uh, I think it's Psalms that talks about our sins are forgotten as the east is from the west. So you start to see the spiritual uh, side of this. And, that's, and what Isaiah is really saying is you can disobey God and you can be lost. And if you're lost and you won't follow God, you're going to have trouble and in your finality, you're going to have a finality of, of hell. But if you'll accept God, there is something new. And what happened before is forgotten. And God doesn't hold that against us anymore as far as the east is from the west. And so what's this new heaven and new earth? I mean, we know about God creating a new soul. All right, I've got no trouble with that part of it. I think I can line that part up. That new heaven part, man, when I got saved, I got a piece of heaven right down in my soul. What's the new earth? Got a new way of life. You look at things differently. I did. Uh, I was trying to remember who that was. Somebody... Uh, I can't remember, but somebody was just testifying about after they got saved, how they, maybe it was Wednesday night, it might have been one of the Hendrickson girls, they, they were testifying about how when they got saved, that things looked different. And I love this example because it, it, it just for me personally, it just it hit home so much. When I was, uh, when I started kindergarten, I was five years old and I needed glasses and Pretty soon the teacher told my mom and dad, I think he needs glasses. Well, we went and the doctor examined my eyes, ordered me some glasses. Just a side note, I broke those glasses within about a week. But they ordered me some glasses and I got them on and I walked out. And I know mom remembers this and I'm like, wow, that sidewalk's got cracks in it. I couldn't see them before that. And those poles have got lines that run between them. My eyes were so bad I couldn't see the electrical or the phone lines that ran between the poles. I knew there was poles there because I'd run into a few of them, but I didn't know that the wires were up there. I couldn't see them. 
And oh my goodness, there's birds sitting on those wires. I saw things completely different. Well, it was only a few months of time different from the time I got saved. I got saved as a five-year-old boy. Well, I didn't see the wires between the poles like I did when I got my glasses, but everything looked different. Still the same five-year-old boy. My soul on the inside is brand new, and I'm looking at everything on the outside like it's brand new. You just can't explain that to somebody who hasn't gone through being saved. And everybody's got a different perspective and a little different story, but the same thing happens down on the inside of each one that gets saved. You're going to look at things differently. So that's a good comment, Don. You're right on. So it's a, it's a new awakening from a natural standpoint. All right. So let's go on. Does anybody have any comments before we go on? Verse 18, but be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create for. Behold, I create new Jerusalem a rejoicing. I'm sorry, I read that wrong. I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. So again, I think Isaiah from a natural standpoint is talking about when Israel comes back from Babylon there's going to be a time of rejoicing and things are going to be a lot better than they were down there when they were in Babylon. They're going to be independent again. They're going to be able to do things, and we'll get to those scriptures here in a minute, but they're going to be able to build a home and live in it. They're going to be able to farm and, and enjoy the fruits of those labors, plant a vineyard and, and eat those grapes. They weren't able to do all that when they were down in captivity. But the bigger side of this is that that new Jerusalem that he places down in our heart, that kingdom that we get put right down in here when we get saved, all right? And I know that there's a disagreement about when that kingdom actually comes, and I don't want to get into that discussion today. We can on another time, but, you know, some people have got that kingdom not going to get here until Christ comes back and they think that's going to happen in a natural standpoint at the end of time. Folks, I'm telling you, I got that kingdom right here as a five-year-old boy when I got saved. That's what created that new vision that I had from a natural side of things. Okay, So uh, the kingdom is here, right down in here. And we enjoy that and feel that every day. Now I know that the end of time is naturally coming. I'm not saying it's not. I believe it is. But you better have that kingdom down here before you get down to that, that last trumpet sounding. Verse 19, And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. Every time we come and have a good service and the Spirit is here and the gospel goes out, and people are singing, and people are shouting, and people are being drawn to be saved, and the preacher's preaching. That's rejoicing in Jerusalem, all right? And joy in my people, and the vo and let me get this, and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. And so he's saying, from a natural standpoint, that time of weeping and, and heavy burden down in Babylon 
is over from a natural standpoint for the natural Israel. But spiritually, again, is where that, that, the real point in this is. Once we get saved, our soul's got no more problems down in our soul. Now, hold on a minute. What do you mean there? You ain't got no problems? No, I got problems. I got problems every day. I got problems that wake me up in the middle of the night. I got stuff that bothers me. Is that bothering my soul? No. It's bothering this guy, the guy you're looking at. There's two of me. That's bothering me. Now, if I get in the right frame of mind, and occasionally I do, if I get in the right frame of mind, I can get away from that trouble. And sometimes that's when I'm sitting right over here and that spirit's moving and things are really happening here at the church. And it, uh, But I can do that when I'm in my car. You know, put on a, a good song on, on the radio or a CD uh, and start thinking about God or thinking about the, a good scripture or a meeting that we've had recently. I can get to the point where there isn't any problems. There's no crying. There's nothing to be sad about when you look at it from a spiritual standpoint for yourself. Now, I know we've got a burden for other people to get that, and we should. We want them to get the same thing. But for ourselves, I've got nothing to worry about in my soul anymore. When the church was in so much trouble, all these things going on, 80 years ago, I presumed, and these things that's happening today were not happening back then. Yep. Yeah, uh, somebody mentioned to me yesterday that uh, might have been Kenny um, that you know some time ago that 75 or 80 percent of the homes in America had a Bible in the home, and now they they just recently did a survey and it was 17 percent or 18 percent say they've got a Bible in the home, um, and if you look at what we're doing as a nation and I know that we've got a church here and I know there are churches around our country that you know haven't turned to that if you look at the nation of Israel there were people in Israel in 586 BC when when the Babylonians came and took them over there were still some people that were trying to do what was right can we all pay the price for what some do well Let's think about the Valley of Achor, which is back in this lesson, uh, back before the, the verses. The Valley of Achor is mentioned here, and it talks about in the Valley of Achor will be a place of peace, and your animals can go there, and they can graze. Well, what's the Valley of Achor? Who's heard of Achan? Anybody in here heard of Achan? Remember him? Israel went down and had a great battle and a great victory. And Achan took some gold, took a few belongings, took a little bit of the cattle, brought them back, hid some of that in the floor of his tent. One person did that. 
all of Israel suffered because of what Achan did. One person. Now, what did, what did they do when it got brought to their attention? They stoned Achan and his family. Think about that. What you do will affect your family. They stoned Achan and his family. And then they burned them. And they burned all the stuff that they could burn there in the Valley of Achor. So can a number of people, can if, if our country, if, if we're all doing everything we're supposed to do right here in this church, but our country gets way off track, will we all suffer from that? You better believe we will. Am I saying that that's getting ready to happen today? I don't know. But if you look at history, nations, biblical history, and just natural history, when nations followed God, they prospered. And when nations got away from following God, they had a downfall. All right. Our nation better turn to God. I don't think we're I don't think we're there. I mean if you look at the things that we're doing as a country and the things that we're wrapping our arms around and saying we accept this, this is what we are, it's not biblical. So but good point, Bill. Does anybody else have a point? Sometimes we don't see everybody that there is. Uh, and there's, sometimes there's more than we think. Verse 20. There shall be no more thence an infant of days. So what this is saying is that there, a lot of children that were born at this time died as babies. And that's what it's talking about. A lot of them got sick and died just within a few days of being born, saying that people are going to live uh, and, and grow up. Nor an old man that hath not filled his days. Same thing. It's, it's saying even once you get up to adulthood, people are going to live longer, have a longer life expectancy, live through the time that you know uh, they, they should. For the child shall die in 100 years old, but the sinner, and that sinner there, it's interesting to me, that's also translated a person who misses the mark, uh, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. And they shall build houses, this is verse 21, and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. So uh, when they were taken captivity and were down in Babylon, and remember, he's prophesying now about when they're coming back. He's saying they're going to have a, 
going to live longer, going to be healthier, going to be able to have a home and live in a home, going to be able to work and enjoy the fruit of that. Something that we all should realize, and that is you can never outgive God. All right? When I think, and I'm probably wrong when I think that, but when I think I deserve this much, God gives me this much. When I think I don't deserve anything at all, he gives me some. He gave me salvation when I had no way at all of ever thinking that I deserved salvation. And so Isaiah is telling them from a natural standpoint, but he's also, boy, what great spiritual significance here. Uh, these people that are my people, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be able to be successful, and I'm going to bless you spiritually. Now, does that mean that everybody that gets saved is going to have a house to live in? No, it doesn't. I mean, I don't understand God's purpose. I'm thankful for what he's given me. But there are people, we know there are people uh, that are saved that, that fall on hard times. We can look at what Christ told about Lazarus in the Bible. He laid at the rich man's gate, begging for food. And when he died, the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom. So never forget the message Denny Hunter preached about the rest of the story. You can break that story down into about three parts. In the first two parts, you can look at it and go, man, how in the world is God treating him like this? But when you get to that last part and he gets carried to Abraham's bosom, then you see the rest of the story. So that doesn't mean naturally that you're going to have wealth and riches and good health and live to be an old uh, person because we know people that are good saved people that we've seen that that hasn't happened to. But spiritually, that, that's certainly a promise.
Yeah, God's Spirit is certainly what will witness uh, on that. And uh, Paul wrote in Romans 2, and this is verse 28, and this kind of goes along with what Dali was talking about there, but verse 28 and 29. And when we're talking about the kingdom, from a natural standpoint here, Isaiah was talking about the kingdom of Israel, Jewish people. Paul clarifies this for us in Romans chapter 2, verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. See, I, as far as I know, I don't have any, if I chase my, my family tree, I can't go back and find anybody that's connected naturally with the nation of Israel. But listen, neither is that a circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter. Who praises is not of men but of God. So we're born into this kingdom. And what Dolly said, she's exactly right. When you're, when you're born into this, it's eternal. I can't lose it. Because I don't keep it. You're right. You die out to that old man and you're born again. Yep, born again. And I love uh, what Paul uh, said in another place. What can separate us from the love of God? And I probably can't get them all, but height, nor depth, uh, nor principalities, nor powers. And the last part it comes down to, and a lot of people trip over this or won't accept this, any other creature. If you read Paul's writing, he refers to this man right here as the creature several times. Paul is saying there that even yourself cannot separate, if you wanted to, I don't know why you would want to, but certainly sometimes people's actions may be looked that way, but even Ourself and our own actions cannot separate us from the love of God. 
once we're born into this kingdom, we're in this kingdom from then on. Now, Dally also made a point. We can move and get to a spot, turn our back on God, actions or inactions. We can get to a place where we can't necessarily feel it or, or move in that, but there's always a path back. We're still a citizen. We just got to get back to the place where we are claiming that, and God will be there waiting on us uh, at the right time. So, all right, any other comments? Appreciate the comments. We've got just a few minutes here. Uh, verse 23, they shall not labor in vain nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord. Right there. That, that hits the nail right on the head right there. They are the seed of the blessed of the Lord. If you've got salvation, you've, you've got everything. And their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. He knows what we need even before we ask him. Isn't that something? Um, years ago, Liz was playing uh, volleyball out in Delaware. And uh, we looked for a church for quite a while. And we found it, finally found a Baptist church just in the edge of Maryland. And, and it wasn't quite like this, but you could feel the Lord there. And we went there some. And uh, we were there one Sunday with her. And uh, the pastor's wife actually got up and sang a song, God is already in our tomorrows. And that stuck with me. He's already, you know, I don't know the song we sing here, and I love it. I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know if I'll have it tomorrow. God is already there and knows what's going to happen. And just what a great thought there is to that. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. So he hears us. We can commune directly with God. We don't have to go through a high priest, a natural high priest. We can go to our spiritual high priest. We can go straight to Jesus, and he will hear and answer us. Now, verse 25, I spent some time on this, and we got a few minutes, and, and I'll tell you what I've gotten, and I'm interested in your comments on it. Um, and the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. Let's think about that for a minute. I want to read on the rest of this. And the lion shall eat straw like the bullock. Think about that one for a minute. And dust shall be the serpent's meat. Okay, so three, three statements there that are, are prophecy. And from a natural standpoint, if, you're, if, if folks in Israel are still waiting on those to happen, the first two haven't happened, and I'll tell you about the last one, okay? But the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. What would have to happen for a wolf and a lamb to stand side by side and eat together? Think about that for a minute. What would have to happen? It's against their nature. So, in order for that to happen, their nature would have to be changed. Against my nature to put my confidence in somebody other than me. But I already told you, as a five-year-old boy, I did that. I put my confidence and my trust in Jesus. He changed me. And I still looked the same. If you follow me around for five minutes, 
You'll see me mess up. It won't take long. All right? Yeah. Yeah. So my nature, but my nature was changed. Now, the lion shall eat straw like a bullock. Let's think about this here for a minute. Lion is a cat. Cats are carnivores. If there were any little kids in here, if anybody's got little kids or grandkids, you'd probably know because you've been watching, uh, been watching the cartoons like I have, and they talk about carnivores and herbivores and all that. So carnivores, they eat meat. A cat cannot live on straw. If you feed a cat straw, it will starve and die. Its digestive system is not designed to digest grass or straw or leaves. It is not a herbivore. It does not eat greens. It eats meat. So in order for a lion to eat straw like a bullock, its nature would have to, its biology would have to be changed. All right? God changed me. Okay? Now, the last part of this, the serpent shall, what's it say, eat? Uh, the dust shall be the serpent's meat. Well, we know back in Genesis that God told Satan as a serpent, you're going you're gonna to eat on the dust uh, all of your days. I looked this up. This is kind of interesting. Serpents actually do eat dust. It cleanses their olfactory and their taste sense that they use with their tongue, which is what they use to kind of smell and feel around. And so from time to time, they actually do physically ingest dust. But this is really talking about the devil only has one place to live once we're saved. He's not in my soul anymore. Can't get back there. Even if I wanted to let him in, he couldn't get back there. The only place he's got to aggravate is the dust of this thing you're looking at. All right? That's the only place he's got left. Now, there are probably some other great points, and Bill started to make one on these first two things. I want to open it up. We've still got a couple of minutes. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. Now, what, what Bill was starting to say is lamb on the inside, wolf on the outside. Great point. All right, And we've got to get that wolf under subjection in order for that lamb to really be able to spiritually eat. Okay, If I live like the devil all week long, I can't come here and expect my soul to get fed here in a service. Okay, And so did you have anything else you wanted to add on that? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And then... The lion shall eat straw like a bullock. Does anybody else have any comments on that? I told you, I don't know all this. I'll, I'll give you a thought or two, but I, I, I know I'm just scratching the surface. I probably missed more than I, I hit, but that's all I have. All right, and then the dust shall be the serpent's meat, and that's going to be that way until time, as we know, it comes to an end. Because once he casts that old devil out of our soul, he can't get back in. It's sealed up. And the 